<laughs> I just started coughing. How's that for an intro? Hold on, everyone. I'm going to cough. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not... And I missed you guys so bad, I apparently decided to start coughing. It's all the crack, sorry. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I have lots to be grateful for today. Uh, one is Priscilla. Uh, you wrote me a letter and uh, offered me some amazing advice, and I am so grateful. Thank you for that. And uh, also, I have to thank... Uh, uh, the mats. Um, yeah. yeah, I got to. Mark and Melissa, uh, they, they wrote us. So you know how I've been saying our show is brought to you by Heinz Ketchup, right? Uh, so they wrote them and said, do you want to sponsor, uh, help, help, help with Holy Family's food pantry? You guys are maniacs. And uh, Heinz wrote a lovely letter back saying no. You know, I, I mean, it was lovely because their whole thing was we help a ton of people. Thank you. Uh, and so then, of course, the mats being the mats, yeah. then they send a donation. Yeah. Uh, so you guys, thank you. What a hilarious and amazing effort. And to Heinz and Kraft, <laughs> we're going to find a new sponsor. We can. Besides That's Catholic Cove Celtic Bookstore. There you go. And I also have to point out, Debbie and George are here from... I kid you not, Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they walked all the way here. <laughs> started yesterday morning, is that right? Yeah. They kept a fairly brisk pace. Uh, and you're, you said your knucklehead's here, your little dog. Where, where, what's the dog's name? Bo. Bo. Sweet. Now, is that B-A or B-E-U? Okay. Because, of course, if it's Michigan, it's just B-O. You know, it's Bo. Uh, but uh, thank you, guys. I'm so glad you're here. Now, I'm going to mess up your Laranger. That's it. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. I'm fluent in, uh, don't tell me the word. Nope, I know the word C. It starts Cajun. with Cajun. Did I tell you guys the story about the nun from Louisiana at seminary? Did you hear this one? I don't think so. Okay, folks, I'm going to swear in this story. I have to. Um, and so if you're offended by uh, non-profane, of course, non-blasphemous swearing, <clears throat> when I went to seminary, man, sorry, guys. The head of our academics for the undergrad was from Baton Rouge, and uh, she was this tall. Uh, none and uh, full habit, the whole banana. So I go in with my transcripts from college and she's filling out my little class schedule for my first year of seminary. She's putting all these philosophy classes in there. And I said, sister, I've got a, I got a degree in philosophy from University of Michigan. And she says, and I quote, oh son, Everything they taught you was bullshit. <laughs> and I'd never heard anyone take that word and stretch five syllables out of it. But it was one of the, that was, oh man, I'm sorry, you guys. That's a true story. So pardon me for swearing. It's just, you got it. You got to say that. The way she said that word, I chewed on it for two weeks. It was just such a, she actually made it sound lovely. <laughs> That's a true story. So, uh, you guys, I'm so sorry. I can't quit coughing. I have water. I wasn't coughing before. Debbie and George punched me in the throat. I don't know if that had an effect on this. And then Bo tried to rip out my throat. 
What kind of dog is Bo? Minpin and maybe something else. Okay, okay. Well, I, I, we will meet this dog, right? I, I need to give hugs. Okay. And you're staying, can I say this, where you're staying? The city of Otisville, which I was assigned to for a year and a half. I served as, I forget what my title was, like Sacramento Minister or something at St. Francis uh, Xavier there. Wonderful community, wonderful people. And uh, <clears throat> so there it is. They visited the UP this week. That's right. They visited the Upper Peninsula. Was this your first time in the UP? Yes. Yeah, nice. And I'm sure you enjoyed crossing that bridge. Uh, 20 miles an hour. Bro, I asked Carrie. She's crossed it with me. It's not heights. It's I don't know what it is, but I do not do well. Like on the going up part of the bridge. The going down, I don't care. But driving up is so disorienting to me on that bridge. And uh, I'm getting better. I had to drive across it like three times in one year, and that helped. But uh, wow. And I see people, like I used to have a bike, big old 1500. And I see people riding their motorcycles across that bridge. And I'm like, why don't you just jump off? It feels just as safe. And do you know this? That when I was in high school, so this was sometime in the mid-80s, a car flew off. The wind picked up a Yugo. Do you remember Yugos? Yeah. And threw it off the bridge, and the girl died. Yep. Which, it's like, I didn't need that information. <laughs> I was asked if I would sing the leprosy song today. Now, is there any particular reason? This weekend's gospel, they, they wanted, uh, Karen wanted to know yes. if, it would, if she needs to go to confession now that she sat through the homily this weekend or the readings, and all she could think of was leprosy, <laughs> all my skin is falling off of me. Oh, I'm not half the man I used to be. Oh, how did I get leprosy? Leprosy, kiss me quick before I lose my upper lip. Okay, that's what I remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're welcome, you know, uh, and you guys owe me because I think I just added five years on to purgatory. <laughs> Get to heaven. If I make the cut, I'm sure St. Damien's just going to come up and punch me in the face. <laughs> So, yeah, we are going to continue our series now on the heroes of the faith, and we're on the hero of the faith, uh, Moses. Now, I got to tell you, I was so bummed. I had uh, probably 10 pages of notes that I lost. I do not know what happened to them. Um, <clears throat> but within there was a handout I was actually given in uh, Israel uh, at one of our classes there about, and it was the 10 reasons Moses is the greatest Jew who ever lived. It's just beautiful stuff. That list is gone. Uh, and it's Carrie's fault. She's pretty drunk. Uh, but um, yeah. So that's our lecture on Moses. <laughs> no, this will be a little more extensive, believe it or not, than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because frankly, more happened. If you think about it, the whole Abraham thing was God promised, Abraham believed, a ton of time passed. God promised, Abraham believed, a ton of time, right? That's the story of Abraham, his ridiculous faith in the, in, in the face of unbelievable odds, his radical obedience to the Lord. Isaac, we covered, I think, in an hour. 
Uh, and then you get to Jacob, and Jacob was just wily, right? A wily dude who wrestled with God. And so God changed his name to Israel, meaning wrestles with God, fights with God. Um, <clears throat> and then you may remember that last time we met, Jacob took his whole family down to Egypt because of Joseph, and that the Jews then lived in Egypt, and that they lived there a long enough time where the most dreadful line in scripture pops up, quote, and there came into the land a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, uh, meaning somebody came to the throne who didn't have any understanding of the beautiful history between the Jews and Egyptians. And when they saw the sheer number of Jews began to oppress them, there's a whole process. And again, this was in those notes uh, about how they did it. And it was in a sense, well, what many governments do, lull your people into slavery, right? You don't just walk in their house and put chains on them. You begin a process of dependence. Um, and this is what uh, ended up happening. And the Jews, the Israelites lived in grotesque state of slavery under their Egyptian masters. And they cried out to the Lord. And that's where we get to Moses. So now we're going to start on Moses. Now, this is a very important scripture passage. I want you to remember it, okay? Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. Now, Moses, he knows his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. <laughs> You're welcome. So, <laughs> no, that was um, singing in the rain. Remember my I hate musicals lecture? Yes. And remember I said there were some I didn't hate, right? I don't hate, I love Fiddler on the Roof, Singing in the Rain, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and I think that's it. Fair enough. Yeah. Do you know Seven Brides for Seven oh, Brothers? Yeah. Bless your beautiful heart. Okay. Um, it is one of those things that if they released Seven Brides for Seven Brothers now, um, college students would probably burn down villages. Yeah. There is nothing about it that's politically correct. Um, okay, so in Egypt, in the land of Goshen, is where the Jews had settled. Okay, and oh wait, I'm not supposed to wear my glasses. I forgot. And in the time of Joseph and Jacob, everything was great, but this new Pharaoh comes along who knows not Joseph. The slavery happens. Okay, and one of the first things we learn about Moses is that he was born, uh, his father's name was Amram, right? Uh, and his mom's name, and I'm going to butcher this, is Sue. <laughs> Joshabed? Joshabed? I think that's how you say it. Okay. okay. Uh, we know he had one older uh, brother by, or one older sister, Miriam, right? She was seven years older than him. And he had one older brother, Aaron, who was three years older than him. This is what we know. We know that shortly after he was born, the Pharaoh of Egypt commanded that all the male Hebrew children would be drowned in the, uh, that were born that year would be killed. Usually they drowned them in the Nile. You might think, what? That's what people who owned slaves did. Uh, you don't, you want enough men to get work done, but not enough where they can revolt. Um, and people did this forever, <laughs> tragically. 
Um, and in this case, this was one of those years where Pharaoh decided, okay, all the boys born this year, we kill. All the male slaves born. And Moses was going to be killed. Uh, however, his mom put him in an ark, right? Like almost like Noah's ark, made a little ark and hid it in the bulrushes by the riverbank. And whether the hope was that she could go get him later or whether the hope was this child anywhere was better than death, right? We're not quite sure what she was thinking, but here's the key. Pharaoh's daughter found this baby and adopted him. Named, gave him the name Moshe, right? Pulled from water, is what, which, you know, it's a pretty convenient name. Uh, so, you know, we, we, you know, remember this, because this happens again in the Bible a few times, where the owners of a population, Miho, Marius, uh, where uh, a population decides to, well, what's his name does this? Herod does this to the Jewish boys at the time of Jesus' birth. You kill all the males that were born in a certain time frame so that there won't be enough boys to later cause revolt. Um, so Moses is raised as an Egyptian, but what happens is, of course, the, the Pharaoh's daughter, she needs a nursemaid for this new baby. So she sends for the slave girls, right? Go find a nursemaid for this boy. So what do they do? Get Moses' mom, right? So she doesn't know this, but Moses is raised by both his biological mom, who's serving as his nursemaid, and by his adopted mom, this Egyptian. So he's raised as this kind of hybrid um, Jewish Egyptian guy. He's aware, we think, of his Jewish uh, roots, but as to what it means, he probably doesn't have a ton of sense of that yet. But we do know he knows something. Because one day, as a, as a middle-aged man, I don't know, 20s, whatever, whatever you are in your 20s, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses beat the man to death and buried him in the desert to protect this Hebrew. Um, the slaves threatened to turn him in. You think, why? This is what we're going to get into. This generation of people have our generations of slave, and it's messed with them, right? You're going to see this through the whole rest of the life of Moses. What happens to a population when they're enslaved generationally. When you were born a slave and your grandparents were enslaved, it messes with your head. If you're treated like garbage your whole life, literally treated like, like worse than, much worse than people treat farm animals. But at the same time, of course, you didn't want to kill your slave because they're expensive. So think of the heinous things they would do to torture and, and mess with people who were slaves but not kill them. Does this make sense? Yeah. It, it distorts a person and it distorts them for generations. The Bible tells us it messes with people for seven generations. Right. So anyway, Moses, rather than get caught and tried for killing an Egyptian, flees to Midian. Okay, which is a desert country to the south of Judah. So he's kind of going home, although he might not know that. And he married a woman named Zipporah who needed a new name. I mean, clearly. 
<laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, she's a beautiful baby. Let's name her Zippera. No, let's not. Let's go with Ellen. Ellen's a nice name. So Moses lived as a desert, as a desert. Uh, well, that's, he actually, his name was Sandy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Moses lived as a shepherd. I have no shame, Dad. I'm so sorry, but I'm not sorry. Uh, Moses lived in the desert as a shepherd for the next 40 years of his life. And he seems to be pretty content there. And one of the things, we're going to learn a lot about Moses' personality. And one of the things that might shock you is it's clear he was a very shy fellow. And that left to his own vices, he would have lived and died a happy man with his wife and his squeakers. That's what he wanted. But God had other plans for him. So now we're getting into a section. Ready? I call this the Bush Doctrine. I'm so proud of that. that. Yeah. I don't know why. I just thought it was clever. And when I started doing this, like, you guys, you don't know. I have, ask Carrie, I have, I'll bet you I have a thousand pages of notes on my Old Testament Bible study. And this one I did while George Bush was president. And I just thought, that's hilarious. Let's call this one the Bush Doctrine because it's about the burning bush. (laughs) So you know what happens. He's on Mount Horeb, which we assume is Mount Sinai. But it could also uh, refer to nearby Mount Sinai. We're not entirely sure. What we know is he was walking and minding his own business when he sees a bush that's on fire, which is not common. Uh, but here's what's crazy it's not being consumed. So the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And Moses says to himself, well, I need to check this out. And probably kicked himself in the pants for the rest of his life for it. But one of the things you want to know, I hope, is why did God talk to him from a burning bush? Right? What is that all about? Um, so he could have revealed himself any way he wanted. I don't know if you remember. This is God. He chose to speak to him through these, these bushes, these thorny, nasty, no-value bushes. Uh, so there's a few things. If you consult the, the Midrash or the Tanakh, any of these Jewish commentaries, there's a few eye theories. Like, why would God use this? And I think I've shared this first one with you before. Uh, the thorny bush represents the Jewish people. Their sojourns in exile and in slavery in Egypt. Namely, God was telling Moses that even though the exile will be difficult and that it will hurt, it will never consume you. Right? Even though unfriendly non Jews burn us from Pharaoh all the way through to Hitler, uh, they will never destroy us. You will be, feel the fire, but you will not be consumed. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Another answer is usually is a reference to Moses' humility. And Moses, uh, remember I told you about that list that I can't find? Top 10 reasons, the 10 reasons Moses is the greatest Jew who ever lived. Number one is he was humble. He was a ridiculously humble man. Not as humble as me, but who could be, right? Um, But the bush being unattractive and insignificant was a message to Moses about his, quote, superior quality as a towering and yet humble figure. This is continuing the quote. Moses cringed at the idea of being appointed as a leader of the people. He wouldn't hear of it. And as we're going to learn in a minute, 
It wasn't until he ticked God off uh, that he accepted the job. And that's why God got mad, right? Because Moses was the perfect guy because he didn't want to do it, right? Always be nervous about the person who wants to be in charge. That's a great idea, if you ask me, right? I remember one of my buddies who was a priest while I was a seminarian telling me, he said, the most dangerous guys in seminary are the guys who want to be bishop. And the smartest thing the church could ever do is make those guys bishops and get them out of our way. (laughs) Isn't that great? So here's what's key. And I love this point, right? And we're not going to break down everything this detailed, but you need, this will help you understand Moses. The first step in the liberation of Israel by God through Moses was he noticed it. This is a quote uh, from a commentary quote, to see that a bush is on fire is quite easy to see that it's not being consumed takes time and patience. Isn't that it? To notice it's on fire? Easy peasy. To go, wait a minute, that's not being consumed. That takes time and that takes patience. Moses practices mindfulness here. The necessity of the first step of holiness. He is aware. Right? Mijo. Um, There was a great commentary on this passage where someone interrupted the rabbi, which was a part of the discourse, right? And said, well, why doesn't God appear to us so clearly now, like he did in the time of Moses. And the answer from the rabbi was, why doesn't God speak to us like he did in the past? Because we've forgotten how to stoop so low as to see our humble God. I know. Isn't that powerful? We've forgotten how to stoop so low as to see our humble God. So Moses sees, he's aware, and he has the time and the patience, the patience and, the, and the awareness to really perceive what's actually happening, not just a burning bush, but a burning bush that's not being consumed. And that's when God calls out to him, right? God calls out to Moses, which brings us to the second thing Moses did that was amazing. He took off his sandals because he recognized he's standing on holy ground, right? He makes a statement of accountability, a statement of to God that we translate a lot of ways, but this is a word I think some of you may know from Hebrew, hineni, okay? Hineni. It's what you, we translate it a lot of ways because it's a Hebrew word, so it means a lot of things. Um, but it's what Mary answered the angel, Gabriel, when he said to her, you're going to bear a child. She said, well, I'm not, I've never laid with a man. Um, and the angel says, you'll conceive in your womb, blah, blah, blah. She says, Hineni, which we translate, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Right. Isaiah, when the Lord reveals his glory, Isaiah uh, says, uh, Hineni, here I am. Uh, Samuel, Hineni, it's a statement of, there's a lot of ways to translate it, right? But it's like, here I am, or behold me, or put me in coach, right? It's a statement of, I'm in, let's go, let's do this. So God calls out to him and Moses answers Hineni and he takes off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. Uh, Quote, here Moses exhibits, a profoundly patient kind of reflection 
a posture that enables him to truly begin to grapple with the mystery into whose presence he wandered. Right? Moses minding his own business, sees something curious, sees it through, hears God call, and realizes, I just walked into holy. <laughs> yeah, I just, whew, I just walked into holy. Um, this uh, humility of Moses is represented by him hiding his face. Uh, it, we could go on and on and on, but anyway. God then starts, and you can tell God's a little geeked out, for lack of a better phrase. Moses, I've heard my people calling for help. You're the guy. I'm going to send you. And Moses' answer, right? God gives him this peck talk. Yay! And Moses' answer is, me? I'm nobody. Right? And he's going to give a whole string of reasons why God shouldn't send him. And God hears Moses say, I'm nobody, and says, I got you. Right. And God gives this impassioned speech. Moses, you're the guy. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. You're my guy. And then Moses tries a little bit of a Jacob move. Okay, he's going to try to trick God. Um, He doesn't want to do this. This is what it comes down to. Right. God wants him to do this thing. And Moses has a lot of reasons God shouldn't. It's pretty clear to Moses he's going to lose this argument, so he resorts to trickery. He says, well, when I am go, who do I say sent me? What he's trying to do is get God's name. Okay? Now, why is that important? Because when you know God's name, you have power over him. <laughs> yeah? Uh, if you, you know, see somebody walking and you don't know, hey, hey, you know, and a number of people can turn around. When you know their name, Carrie, Carrie, you have a power to make her turn around. And in the spirit world, it seems to work very strongly Right. We, we learn that through the way God answers Moses. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the fact that God actually answers and gives Moses his name. That's probably the biggest moment in the history of Judaism. OK, you get what's going on. Moses is trying to trick God because if he can get his name, then he can get out of doing this. That's all he wants. He does not want to do this. Um, and you know, like, remember the Rapunzel story, right? This is something humans understood for a long time. And it, it, it's funny what we've lost through the years. It really is. But you remember Rapunzel, right? Was it Rapunzel where she had to learn the name of the, the thing tormenting her, right? That comes from exorcisms, guys. And an exorcism, they're trying to get the demon's name. Because once they get it, they can cast it out in whose name? Jesus. Right? Knowing the name is a big deal. So what does he do? Hey, so when I go, uh, who do I say sent me? And what does God tell him? He gives him what we as Catholics call the unspeakable name, or the Jews call it the Tetragrammatron. Okay, it's four letters, and we're going to talk this through because it's important. Um, I wish I had a way to show you something, uh, but I can't. So I'm going to try to talk you through this. God gives him a name, and the name is I am who am, which you might think, huh? God is saying, I'm existence. 
I'm outside of time, right? He's taking, I am who am, not I am who I was or who I will be. I am who am. I am amness. I don't know how else to be with me. Does this make sense? And how do you write that? Well, in Hebrew, you write from right to left. Yes? And in this day and age, you didn't write much if you wrote at all. Paper wasn't something you just bought. Paper took years to make, and it wasn't like a ton of people could read anyway. Uh, word of mouth was the way to go. Plus, it's pretty bad form back then to write a God's name. Why? Well, what if that paper gets destroyed? Uh, even today, most religious Jews that I know won't write God. They'll write G-D. Right? G dash D. Why? Because you can erase that. You can delete it. And that's a holy name. Don't do that. Okay? So you get me? Like when my religion, my buddy was a religious Jew. When we write each other, if the name God comes up and I do this out of great respect and love for him, I type G dash D because otherwise I'm going to drive him nuts because then he can't delete that email. He can't erase. Why? Well, that's the name, a name of God. Is this all making sense? Yes. Okay, so you take the word that God gave Moses that we translate, I am who am, and you write it as four consonants back then. Why? Well, that's how they wrote. Jews didn't put vowels in their words. When they wrote a sentence, it was a string of consonants from right to left, and there was no break between words. It's a bear to translate. Well, what would happen then when they came to the unspeakable name? Usually they would just write Adonai to avoid writing the name. Adonai means my master. And by the way, ladies, that's what women called their husbands. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. The Latins did it too, the Romans. Uh, the wife would... Uh, well, anyway, blah, blah. So what you get then is this. When you're trying to teach a kid to read in this culture, you did write the vowels. And you wrote little vowels below the consonants. Oh. So like Joseph. My name is Joseph. So it would be J-S-P-H. And the O would be tiny and beneath the J and the S. And the E would be in its proper places. That's how you teach kids to read. Okay, This is important. Stick with me. Well, when they get to this part of the passage, they don't want to write the unspeakable name for God, again, because a kid will accidentally say it. And if you say the unspeakable name for God, they kill you. That's how holy this is, right? So what did they do? They took the vowels for Adonai and put them with the consonants for the unspeakable name. It makes no sense in Hebrew. So a kid, a little kid learning to read would be like, well, what? I, I can't pronounce this. And that's when dad has the talk. Yeah, the talk. Son, God gave us his name and we never say it. Okay. Well, here's the crazy part. And here's a little trivia for you. This is where the word Jehovah comes from. Because when the German scholars first found this, they didn't understand what was going on. So instead, they just took the letters and went, okay, Jehovah. But that word doesn't exist. It's the vowels for Adonai and the consonants for the unspeakable name. Did you know this? Isn't that crazy? The fact that it works in English is just luck. 
So it's funny, but the word Jehovah doesn't exist. And we shouldn't use it just because it's not a proper name. Uh, it's a mistranslation of the unspeakable name for God's consonants and the vowels for Adonai. And you might think, well, wait, A, A is a consonant in Hebrew. It's not a vowel. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yeah. So all of this is Moses trying to get God's name so that he can get out of the job. He doesn't want to do it. He's pulling a Jacob. And God, knowing what he knows, still gives him the name. And this is such a beautiful gift. Right. Uh, and you may remember, there's a few times where before Jesus, before it became clear that Jesus wasn't going to politically liberate the Jews, there was a couple times they tried to kill him. And every time it was because Jesus said, quote, I am. Right. Which you cannot say they will kill you. And every time Jesus says it in the Bible, which is only a couple, they pick up rocks to kill him. That's how strongly they feel. You reverence this name. You don't throw it around. Right? Um, cool stuff. <clears throat> so I call that one strike one. Oops, I'm sorry. That dog is pure evil. Okay. So strike one was, oh, I'm not significant, Lord. Don't send me. Strike two, now he's got the unspeakable name, but he tries this. Okay. Well, so if I'm your guy... Who's going with me? You don't want me doing this, right? His humility precludes the possibility of him seeing himself as sufficient, right? And God's answer is to tell him, with me, you are sufficient, right? So then Moses says, no, send someone else. He said, they won't believe me. These are a stubborn, stiff-necked people. Um, so this is strike three now. Moses is up to three no's. No, Lord, I'm not going to go. Or I shouldn't go. You should send someone else. And Moses' experience of the Jews as a stubborn, stiff-necked people is a constant theme through the rest of Moses' life. Um, again, these are slaves. They are deeply broken. Okay, deeply broken. God answers by saying, I'm going to do signs and wonders through you. They'll believe you because I'm going to make you able to do signs. And then God does a couple things with him to show him, this is what you can do now because I'm with you. And Moses' answer, let's send someone else. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a good speaker. All right. What is this? Well, they assume, and there's a few reasons for this, that Moses was a stutterer. Okay. This comes up a few times, uh, and most of the commentaries I read say he was a stutterer. Okay. Uh, he had a fear of public speaking. Uh, there's also a distinct possibility, and this is kind of funny, I've never thought of that, that it's been 40 years, he might not speak Egyptian well anymore. But whatever he meant, God <laughs> answers and says, I'm going to empower you and I'm going to heal you. Right? And then he reminds him, remember who I am. I am who am. I can heal your speech impediment. I can help you remember Egyptian. I get all these things. And then Moses answers, I'm out. I don't want to do it. He just doesn't want to do it. And God gets ticked. Okay. This has been five no's in a culture where usually three is enough. Yeah. So God's tenacity 
seems to be kind of matched by Moses' stubbornness. Moses is just convinced, I'm not your guy. I don't know who you think I am. And God's like, no, you don't know who you are. And then, but then God gives up. Fine, I'll send Aaron. Okay. So then Aaron comes, and from then on, Moses and Aaron are a team. Uh, it's really funny. And I've read a few commentaries that said the moment Moses got God's name, it was all a game. God was going to send Aaron anyway. Right? Which is really fascinating. Moses got his name. How are we doing? Good. Okay. Um, so just a few things. Like when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he charged him to take charged him with a mission to get the Jews out of Egypt. Quote, Behold, I will come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your father sent me to you. And they will say, What's his name? What shall we tell them? Right? And that this this whole recounting, it's it's this chess match between God and Moses that of course the Lord wins. Um, God's name is uh, unspeakable. And there was a, when I was a kid, we sang a song with the unspeakable name in it, right? Uh, Y, how do we spell it? Y-A-H-W-E-H. It's a name you should never say. And we were singing it in a song, right? And it's really interesting. I don't know if you saw Pope Benedict actually wrote a document, an encyclical, saying, please don't do that. It's offensive to our Jewish brothers and sisters. And God himself declared that name to be super holy. Yeah. So what did Jews call him? They called him a lot of things. Elohim, the God of the high places. They called him Adonai, my master. Uh, they had a lot of names. They called him El, right? Just you, <laughs> which is so cool, right? Like Prince or Ichiro. <laughs> Just kidding. Nothing like Prince. <sighs> God's name is his, uh, I, it's hard to explain. God, when he's giving Moses his name, he's not just giving him a name like Joe. He's telling him, this is who I am. I am all. I am it. Existence from through me. And if you want the catechism, there's a lot about this. Uh, and if you want, get your pens and papers out if you want to remember. But paragraphs 203, 206. 207, 210, 11, 12, and 13. 210, 11, 12, and 13. All of those are paragraphs where, uh, in the catechism where it breaks down how important and, and special that unspeakable name for God is. And how beautiful it is. God didn't have to tell Moses his name. He did it because he wants to be known. Right? That's really important to remember. God wants to be known by you. Like, can you can you imagine? I, I just, man. Um, what we want to remember is so when we say that commandment that we will get to this in a while, um, do not use God's name in vain. That means a couple things. That means don't blaspheme, 
right? And uh, but it also means, of course, so basically God's name is not something to just be thrown around. And people say, I say, oh my God, all the time. Okay, that's. You're not saying the unspeakable name, you know, just being blunt. You're saying, oh, my God. And it's an expression, an acclamation, whatever. Do I encourage us to do it? No. Do I do it? Yeah, but I'm working on it. Right. It's so subconscious, Uh, subconscious, unconscious, subconscious. But we want to remember too, to use God's name in vain. An example, I guess, for us would also be don't do something evil in the name of God. Don't do something on God's behalf that he did not ask you to do. Um, That's important. Um, I see it all the time in today's political climate, right? Uh, Oh, I'm a Catholic. I've been a Catholic my whole life. And here's this thing that isn't anything Catholic. And I hold to it. Well, that's using God's name in vain. Uh, Our faith is not meant to be a cudgel. Our faith is not meant to be um, an excuse. Uh, You get me? Uh, It's we don't use God's name to do bad things. Um, That's not what the Lord wants of us. Okay. So now we've got Moses and Aaron, and they're they're going to head back to Egypt now. And no kidding, guys, they're going to Pharaoh. And I think it's hard for us to understand this. How are we doing for time? Hold on. 15 minutes. Oh, great. Wait, pardon? 15 more minutes. Oh, I thought you said two more minutes. I'm like, I didn't see that right. Um, what we're going to find is, well, I'm sorry, what I need you to get this in your, in your frame of mind. When Moses and Aaron go to talk to Pharaoh, it's kind of like you and me standing in front of a feral tiger. Uh, you've seen those videos where the tiger sees a human and just doesn't care. And you've heard about the ones where the tiger decided, I think I'm going to kill you. And you really have no way to know which one it's going to be. That's what it's like to go in front of Pharaoh. There's no one Pharaoh is accountable to. There's no Congress. There's no Senate. There's no Supreme Court. It's this guy we believe is God. And so whatever he says goes. So just approaching Pharaoh, they're putting their very lives at risk. And I think it's easy for us to forget how abjectly terrifying that must have been. Pharaoh, if he decides to kill Moses and Aaron, he answers to no one. No one would even think. It wasn't in the mindset back then, mighty Pharaoh, why did you do this? They don't care. He did it. That's what's important. They, it's not It's not that Egyptians would look at the Pharaoh and go, yeah, he's a dude, but we say he's a god. No, no, they believed he's a god. Uh, and why is he a god? We'll see he's in charge. <laughs> that means he's a god. Uh, so what we're going to find is Moses' whole approach is interesting with Pharaoh. That his first volley, right, is to go to Pharaoh and say, I want to take the Jews on pilgrimage. Yeah? Mm -hmm. We're going to step out for a little while. We'll be right back. Now, why was Moses doing this? They're not going to come back. Well, of course. And Pharaoh knows they're not going to come back. This allows Pharaoh to save face. You get me? That if Moses is throwing him, in a sense, a pitch, 
and it's what you and I know and what they knew was, okay, bro, this ends with us leaving and free or dead. That's it. But to save you the embarrassment, how about you just agree we're going to go on a pilgrimage? Yeah? Does this make sense? Moses is being politically astute. And we don't really know what Pharaoh's heart was for Moses. Okay, we don't. Does he even remember him? Uh, is this the same Pharaoh that ordered all the kids dead? It's been 40 years. It's been more than 40 years, but right around there. We don't know. Uh, because one thing that's fascinating, this Pharaoh's never named. Like, they never name him. Think about it. And you may think, well, why didn't they name him? Because they name everybody else, right? Uh, they name everybody else. They don't want to give him that. They hate this guy, <laughs> okay? And they don't want his name to live forever. Um, most people back then understood that if you write something down, that's a form of immortality. And in the same way that now they don't even publish the names of school shooters, right, as a general rule, well, they're not publishing his name. Okay. Is this good? You, you getting it? All right. So the first thing, Moses' first pitch, right, it was a split finger fastball. He says, let's go for a pilgrimage. I'm just going to take the Jews. Just let us go. And Pharaoh mocks him. Uh, and then they order it harder on the Jews. They basically take their slave jobs and make them harder. Why? Because they can. You, oh, you wanted to go on pilgrimage. That's so cute. How about this? We'll just make your job harder. This is how it works in priesthood. <laughs> in doing this, Moses, Pharaoh kind of sets the stage. He's just, he doesn't know this yet. He just lost. Right? He just lost. Because Moses going to him, again, what they both understood was it was setting into motion a chain of events that either ends with a billion dead Jews or a billion free Jews. I mean, there weren't a billion, but you know what I mean. So um, what do the people do? So Moses has gone to Pharaoh on behalf of the slaves. Let my people go. And it doesn't work. And what becomes a constant theme is that the people, the slaves, then turn on Moses this is what happens over and over. Let me read you something real quick, okay? Exodus 5, 19. Okay. Then the Israelite foreman came out and uh, cried to Pharaoh, right? why are you doing this like this? You know, blah, blah, blah. So they're going on and on and, and, and complaining. Why are you making our job harder? Um and the foreman, right, the taskmaster replies, why do we make it harder? Because you wanted a pilgrimage. That means you're lazy. So they responded by leaving the taskmaster and, quote, assailing Moses and Aaron. They said to them, the Lord look upon you and judge. You made us offensive to Pharaoh and his servants. You put a sword into their hands to kill us. So this is, this is the theme. Right? Moses goes to Pharaoh and lives. But they 
gotta suffer a little more. So who do they do? They assail Moses and Aaron. Moses then turns to the Lord and says very biblically, see, <laughs> see, I told you this would happen, right? Lord, why did you send me from the time I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He's treated your people badly and you've done nothing. You got to love Moses. He just pulls the pin and throws the grenade. God then says to Moses, now you will see what I do to Pharaoh. For by a strong hand, he will let them go. By a strong hand, Pharaoh will actually drive them from the land. And then God does the speech, right? Just a reminder, chief, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, right? And he goes on. The Lord just lays it out for Moses. I'm not just going to free you. We're going to go big. And why? Because I told you I would. What you're going to find is a pattern um, that goes like this. The people complain to the Lord. The Lord does something miraculous. The people forget. Uh, The people yell at Moses. Moses yells at God and God does something. This is over and over the next 41 years of Moses's life is designed by this defined by this awful cycle right that the people God saved through Moses all they do is complain at Moses and complain at God and then God gets ticked and a few times tells Moses you'll see get out of my way I'm gonna kill all of them Right. And Moses, what it says in the Bible, quote, stood in the gap between God's wrath and his people. Right. Just you got to love Moses. Right. All these people do is complain. Like at one point they're living in the desert. God gives them meat every day. They start griping. We're sick of meat. Okay, it's just and you think, "Ah, boy, I'm glad I'm not like that. (laughs) We're all like that. We're all like that because we're all slaves to sin. Slavery messes people up. There's 900 reasons slavery is awful. Uh, Nine million reasons. One of them is it just messes people up. It, It really messes with them. And this generation is a train wreck. Right. You're going to see now the generation that comes after them is arguably the greatest generation of Jews who ever lived. Why? Well, they saw their mom and dad and they went, I'm not going to be like that. They were never slaves. They weren't born slaves. They were born free. And that's a different type of human. Yeah. Isn't that something? Crazy stuff. So um, now God's answer, of course, you know, ends with, and I love this. This is what I wrote. God basically tells Moses, brace. This is going to be awesome. My proof is that I gave you something. And this, this gives me chills. Like I got him, right? He says to Moses, I gave you something I never gave Abraham. I gave you something I never gave Isaac. I gave you something I never gave Jacob. I gave you my name, right? I hear you. I'm coming. Dang. Now it takes God about 20 verses to say this. Yeah. But he says it, right? I gave you something nobody has. I'm coming. Let's get this done. Okay. 
So you might wonder if I, you know, this pattern I told you about, how complaint, 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 miracle, uh, complaint, complaint. Uh, Why didn't God get mad here at the Jews for getting mad at Moses? This is what it says, quote, because God saw their broken spirit from their cruel bondage. Right? What, what? God saw they're broken. Slavery broke them. Right? So I'm going to be super patient and I'm going to be super tender. Uh, it made me think of a quote from C.S. Lewis. Quote, God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters to God is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them. I love that. Ah, I love C.S. Lewis. So God kind of wraps up his speech to Moses by giving you, as a reader, his street cred, right? He gives you the genealogy of Moses, where he came from. But um, so God is going to use plagues now. And we're going to see this. How are we? Time-wise. I wonder if we should stop or no. Yeah. Okay. So what we'll do next time, which is I think a week from today, is we're going to look at what it means that, quote, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does that mean? That sounds like God's cheating, uh, but he's not. It's, it's a turn of phrase we'll talk about. And then we're going to look at the plagues and we're going to see, and I think I hit this with you guys a bit, how each plague God unleashes on Egypt is a direct correlation to the Egyptian gods, right? So every plague that God sends, God starts with the lowest God on the Egyptian hierarchy or pantheon, and he moves all the way up. Each plague is a direct attack on their gods. He's showing himself the master of their gods. It's very cool. We'll talk about that next time. So uh, I think that'll wrap us up for today, huh? Yeah? Care? Okay. And then tomorrow, we've got a wonderful guest, and I can't wait for you to meet her. But I do really want to thank Debbie and George. You guys, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, hit me. One question. Okay, hit me. Oh, I have a Bible that uses the unspeakable throughout the Old Testament. Is there something I should do with that Bible? I would assume... Does it just say Y-H-W-H in all caps? If so, that's fine. If it's got the vowels in it, I I personally would burn or bury it. I, unless it's very old and special. Oh, my gosh. You know, uh, but uh, if it just says Y-H-W-H, that's fine. Right? Remember, for the Jews, they read it the opposite way and with vowels. So specifically, biblical authors did that to not offend our Jewish brethren and to keep us from saying that name, right? Because you can't say Y-H-W-H. What? <laughs> yeah. Actually, do you know what I wish we had time for? And I wish I, we had the tech to do. I have this beautiful video um, by a Protestant minister, and it's, it's just lovely talking about the name of God the the unspeakable name as breath it's really something uh but be this as it may yeah uh if it says jehovah that's just a bad translation that's all um but if it has the unspeakable name spelled out with vowels 
if it's a family Bible, if it's a special Bible, then, you know, I, I, I just wouldn't use it. Right. I mean, keep it for its uh, emotional, spiritual, sentimental value. But if it is just the consonants, that's how my Bible does it. Or it just says God. Right. Yeah. Oh, one more. No, just go up. Pardon? Just go up toward the top. Question for Friday is what I see. Up. Hi, uh, I'm so sorry. This week, up in the, in the heading. Oh, you mean go tell them about tomorrow's guest. I'm sorry. Okay, I, w I was going to get there. Um, but so, again, thank you, guys. I really hope you enjoyed today. And even if you didn't, it's Carrie's fault. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so glad you got to see her soberish. You know, uh, we tried to keep her from the sauce this morning, but we missed her between 5 and 7 a.m., so she got a ton in. Uh, but um, truly, though, thank you and welcome. They, they, do you mind if I say where you came from? Did I say that? Yeah, they came from. Oh, I did. Cause I told you about Sister Tenet, but I ain't. Uh, so um, tomorrow, and I'm geeked out about this. Sister Dorothy Ederer. Okay, she's going to be here. Now, this is very important. Please remember, the show's going to start late. Uh, my cousin's funeral is tomorrow, and I can't find a way to get here by noon. So we're going to start, do you want to say 1230, or did we say 1215? What do you think? I think it's going to be 1230. Okay, that's the safest. Yes. It is. So please note, and if you would help us spread word, tomorrow's show will begin at 1230 instead of 12 and that's because of your sin i'm just kidding it's mostly because of your sin <laughs> but i can't wait for you to meet this woman she is a uh, i i don't know her super well but what i do know is um she's another one of the very few people who believed me right when i told you guys about all the struggles i went through um she believed me and she has written me some very lovely and encouraging letters and I know I have nephews and nieces who benefited from her uh, beautiful ministry to students when she was at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, so praise God for her. And I can't wait to get to know her better. So and this is Dr. Dorothy was my eighth grade teacher and sang in her choir. Get out of here. I understand she's a golfer. I, I, I don't like golf, right? We talked about this. We don't like golf. It's it's a demonic game. Uh, but uh, I think she's quite the golfer. Uh, and I think she has a book. I hope she brings it if she does. She I read it. It's a book of like reflections about golf and spirituality, uh, which uh, I don't know if you know why they call it golf. It's because the word Satan was already taken. <laughs> But, uh, and I believe, don't quote me, I'll ask her tomorrow, I believe she's an accomplished musician, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So I'm excited. I, I don't know her super well. What I do know, I love so deeply. Um, and I'm excited for us to all get to know her better. Um, so that's what we got. Yeah. So it's doctor, not sister? Well, I think or it's so, both? I think that was a typo. Well, I'll bet you she's got a doctorate. Yeah. This woman's sharp. Uh, okay. So uh, what are we doing now? I guess prayer, huh? Prayer. Yeah. Oh, you know what we forgot today? <laughs> forgot the screaming goat. Especially during the burning bush. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I should have used that. All right. So uh, we'll see you beautiful people tomorrow at 1230. Or if you're in our time zone, 
1230. <laughs> and uh, then Friday will be our question and answer. Next week, we'll get right back after Moses. I just got to remember about the hardening of, I got to write that down where we were. Yes. So salad pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, even if we fight you every step of the way, you'll get us there if we let you. And thank you for using flawed humans, because that's what we got. And Lord, you've called us to be like little Moses, <laughs> running around, helping people find your freedom from the slavery to sin. And we might think, well, I'm not a good speaker, or I'm not important, or I'm not educated, or I'm not powerful, whatever. And all of those, Lord, that's how humans think. But we know if you let us, you can fill us and make us like you. So that's what we ask for today. And we ask that Moses pray for us from heaven. That we'll always live the freedom God gives us. And not sacrifice our freedom for momentary pleasures. In a special way, too, Father, we ask for your blessing on our Jewish brothers and sisters. May you protect them. May you help them stay faithful to your covenant. And that you draw them closer to your sacred heart. And Lord, we ask for your healing in our country and in every country for the damage that slavery does. Every country in the world practice that demonic art. And we ask that you heal the wounds from our past, both inflicted and received. Now, Father, you know those people that we love so very much and we worry about them. And you know those circumstances in our lives that we fret about. And we give all of them to you, Lord, because we love you so much and we trust you. Oh, and we also ask, Lord, that you bless Debbie and George and all their travels to keep them safe and to bless little Bo as well. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you people tomorrow. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.